Uh, today's episode uh, with uh, on the Attorney Lounge is with uh, Christine Campbell. She was just appointed the general counsel at U-Haul this past year. Um, she's a really great guest. Uh, she talks about, you know, working at Greenberg Trowrig earlier in her career and how much she really enjoyed uh, working there and in big law. And then that transition that she made from, you know, outside counsel to in-house uh, and her time at U-Haul, she gives um, a great sort of understanding of how she runs her department, what she's looking for in uh, both inside counsel that she's hiring on her team, as well as outside counsel and uh, the people that she's working with uh, on different matters that she's got uh, responsibility for there. Um, she's got a, a really good sense of humor. She gives a lot of good advice and some good nuggets, uh, particularly if you're interested in becoming a GC someday. Um, she's got some really good advice kind of at the end of the episode. So I'd I'd uh, encourage you to stick around and listen to that. Um, you're really going to like Christine. I think she's really, uh, truly universally beloved by everyone that knows her. Um, and I think it's a, a good episode with a lot of good information if you're interested in uh, a career as uh, in-house counsel or becoming a GC. So without further ado, this is the episode with Christine Campbell. All right, Christine Campbell, thank you so much for joining us today. You're welcome. I'm excited to be here. So this is exciting for me because this is the first time. Now, this is brand new, but it's the first time I've had a fellow public company general counsel on the show. So my people today to have a good conversation. Okay, so to start it off, first of all, Christine Campbell, you are the general counsel at U-Haul. And everybody knows U-Haul. And you were just appointed this year. So I'll start off by saying congratulations. Thank you. I know it, it's been about six months, so I'm still very much a newbie in this role. But I've been with U-Haul 13 years, so I'm not a newbie to U-Haul, just to the general counsel position. Yes. Well, very uh, well-deserved promotion. We have uh, so many friends in our network that we know, and everybody to a person is extremely complimentary of you and, and thinks the world of you. We've met a couple times and I couldn't agree more. You're absolutely fantastic. And so I think it's awesome that you got to this position. So uh, one of the things I want to start with, first of all, is just sort of setting the groundwork and uh, a little bit of the background and then get into your background and stuff. But I think just just to explain to people, I, as I was researching before we had this discussion, I was just doing a little research on U-Haul. And I don't, you can share or supplement this story however you want, but I just think that the story of U-Haul and how it started is absolutely fantastic. I mean, it is a true American success story. So it, you correct me if this is wrong, but the way the whole company started, Sam Schoen, it just gets discharged from the Navy. He is moving his family from L.A. to Portland and needs to haul stuff from here. <laughs> to there and 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 doesn't have any option to do that and so he creates the company just because it was a need that he had he ends up moving his he, he moves his family to portland and they come up with the name on the trip and they create this company 1945 he had a 1937 ford and five thousand bucks in savings do i have yeah. that right uh, I think the geography is a little off backwards, but besides that, yeah, LF Showin, you called him Sam, but he went by LF, started the company with his wife and they wanted to move their stuff. And so, but they didn't want to have to 
take the trailer back to their original destination. They wanted a one-way move and then drop the trailer off um, in their destination. So that was the birth of U-Haul. And, and I will say, even though it is a public company, and I'm sure we'll get to that later, by heart, by design, it's really a family-run business that is also a public company, but it, it's really run like a family business. Yeah, I mean, you're working with the the sons of the people yeah. that started it, correct? I mean, they're yeah, still very current, actively involved in the business. Exactly. Our current CEO, Joe Schoen, is the son of the man you were just talking about, LS. So his dad started the business and and now Joe runs the business. Two of his sons work at the company. His daughter works at the company. He has two sons, one in college and one in high school. and and they were summers at the company. So it's truly a family business. Yeah. And, I, and, and as I was thinking about this, when just reading the story about how it all started and, and how we all just think of U-Haul, I mean, it's almost ubiquitous, this name. It's almost like Kleenex. It's like you, you say U-Haul, everybody knows it. You see an orange truck on the street, everybody knows it. It's just so ingrained in all of us, the U-Haul brand and the, and the name and the colors and all this sort of stuff. And I think sometimes the best inventions are the things that seem obvious in hindsight. Um, you know, and I think there's a lot of us that would have looked back on that and said, oh, yeah, well, that's obvious. That was going to be creative. But for them to sort of come up with that idea and then for it to turn into what it has become today and have the brand and, and the notor- sort of notoriety of the company and stuff is just fantastic. I, I think it's an amazing American success story. And I think if nobody's done it yet, I think the two of us should um, create a movie about this. I mean, if McDonald's could have a movie about them, I think we could have a movie about U-Haul. Um, I mean, interestingly enough, this show is really try to stay out of the limelight and history has proven for them that they should lay low. <laughs> they do just that. So today, though, bringing us forward to today from those humble beginnings, I'm going to rattle off a few stats just to sort of prove the point that you have a very big job and a lot on your plate. So the company today, today does roughly 6 billion in annual revenue it's got an 11 billion dollar market cap traded on the New York Stock Exchange over 2200 company owned stores nearly 21,000 independent dealers Th- this was interesting i was looking at sort of the number of <laughs> like just trucks and stuff 192,000 trucks 138,000 trailers 44,000 towing devices 1900 self storage locations with 81 million square feet of rentable storage space uh, one of the largest propane refilling networks in the country. This is a massive operation. You have a very big job. You have a lot on your plate. So before we get into your background, just any thoughts on sort of the responsibility of of taking this on? And two, the, the other thing, the other point I wanted to make, this is also one of those businesses that I think like if one of your buddies came to you and said, hey, I got an idea. I'm going to rent trucks to people and let them drive them all over the country. I think a, a lawyer would tell you, you don't do it. This is too much risk. Uh, but obviously, that's why the business people are business people and the lawyers are the lawyers. But um, what it, what is it like sort of having that much responsibility and sort of taking on this this huge opportunity, but this huge responsibility at the same time? Yeah, well, I think Wednesday kind of proved what it is like when I we originally were scheduled for two days ago, and I literally under the table was emailing you, I'm being held hostage in my CEO's office for X reason. But it really is, you get to work 
I, I'm constantly, maybe I'm not constantly at the office. We're an in-office company. Through COVID, we were in office. We, I require my entire team to be in the office. So we're here a lot, but it's also, we have our free time and our nights, but I'm constantly thinking about issues that U-Haul's facing. I mean, you, you threw out a lot of stats on U-Haul, but one of the biggest stats is that we're also an enormous real estate company. We own, besides all the land under our stores, our centers, we also own a lot more land that where we're the landlord for either mini malls or, or a hotel, different, different real estate ventures that don't have anything to do with you home. One day we hope they will, but, but at the time we're just a landlord and a landowner. So the real estate piece of it is, is one of our biggest challenges right now that people don't notice that they think we're truck trailer storage business, but essentially our real estate is kind of taking over. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, and I think, yeah, it's just hard to sort of comprehend and wrap your head around just how big of an operation you have and the different things that you're in, but that makes a lot of sense. It brings to mind, like when I, I was at a panel one time and the general counsel of Ford was there and he made a comment. He said, he said, I don't lie, I don't lay awake at night worrying about somebody's doing something wrong at Ford. He said, I know somebody's doing something wrong at Ford. The really the question that I, that, that keeps me up at night is how quickly can we identify the issue and resolve it? And I think when I was at Grand Canyon, that was something that always sort of resonated with me is we had like 19,000 employees and you got 120,000 students. You got all this sort of stuff, real estate and all these things. And it's like, you can't expect everybody to be perfect all the time. But the, but the key to it, I think, is sort of identifying those issues as quickly as possible um, and, and avoid having a small issue become a really big issue. So I don't know. How, like, do you think of it in those terms? Is that something that? Wait. Absolutely. I mean, if, if you're renting extremely large trucks to people who've never driven large trucks before and you're hoping to God their license is up to date and you do everything you can to try to make sure you're doing everything right, but you're also relying on human, not AI, to execute these transactions and hook up trailers to individual cars who you hope the car is running fine at their car. So. Yeah, well, there's a lot of unknowns that we try our best to make known, but um, but yeah, we're we're putting um, heavy machinery in our customers' hands and giving them all the instructions, all the videos, everything they need to execute it correctly. But so not only am I worried about our employees, um, we call team members, but I'm also you know hopeful that the customers do the right thing. Yeah, I think I got myself into trouble. It brings to mind something that I did. I I went to I needed to fill up a propane tank for like a I I went to the thing and it was at night. <laughs> I went to a U-Haul station. And I was it was like at, at 44th and Camelback and I went over there and I started like trying to mess with the propane tank myself to fill it up. And somebody comes running out of the thing like, "Hello, like can I help you with that?" Like I just thought like filling a propane tank was like filling the gas tank on your car. So, yeah, there's so many idiots like myself. (laughs) Yeah, we have to expect that our customers don't wear do-it-yourself company through and through, like internally and externally. Our customers 
want to move themselves. They want to fill propane themselves. They want to hook up the trailers and, and put their stuff in storage all themselves. And we want to give them the tools to do that. But it comes with risk. Yeah. So, okay. So before I want to talk a little bit more about you all and kind of how you're organized, but a lot of the theme of the show is getting to know you. And so I want to sort of get your background a little bit, sort of help help us understand kind of where, where did you grow up and kind of where'd you go to school? But ultimately, like, what was the path that led you to law in the first place? Well, I grew up in Phoenix. I'm one of the rare people who grew up in Phoenix. Um, and I went to boarding school, college and law school out back east. And then my third year of law school, September 11th happened. So I realized I kind of write the important things in your life. And my family in Phoenix were very high up on the list. So I, even though I had a job secured in New York City, I ended up interviewing in Phoenix and I got accepted or or a job at Greenberg Charig, which has a large presence in New York. So I thought, if I don't like Phoenix, I haven't really lived here in 15 years. I can go back to New York and work in their New York office. But I absolutely fell back in love with Phoenix and haven't left since. Yeah, I mean, it's an amazing place. And I think the the older I get, the more more I appreciate Phoenix and kind of all that it has to offer. It's a great place to raise a family and there's so much going on. And obviously people agree with us because it's one of the fastest growing cities in the country. So like, where were you? Like, for me, I, I always tell the story, like, I decided to go to law school after reading The Firm by John Grisham, right? And I thought I was going to be Mitch McDeer and I was going to like <laughs> work for the mafia or something stupid. I just like totally idiotic reasons to get into it. Was it something you knew that you wanted to do for a long time or was it something that just sort of dawned on you when you were undergrad or kind of how did you sort of choose that path? Yeah, from when I was little, I knew I wanted to be a judge, which if, as you do know me, I... I'm not, I could never be a neutral for any stretch of the imagination. But all growing up, I wanted to be a judge. And then I went, I was a Chinese major in college. So then I, and I took Chinese in high school. I was super into Chinese language and culture. But then I thought I wanted to do Chinese adoption, which also as I could never do family law ever. <laughs> and so then I went to law school thinking it's still going to be Chinese adoption, which is such a niche practice, and worked for a semester at a family law firm and was like, oh, I don't like hearing about people's problems, like personal problems, which I feel like no matter if you're doing divorce or whatever type of family law, you hear about all these problems. So then I was like, maybe criminal defense. So I interned in that. Thank God for internships. I also hated that. So then I all through law school, worked at a firm, Skadden Arps, and I was a paralegal there. I was a paralegal there before, mostly to pay the bills. But, you know, I was working on a lot of transactional deals. I loved, I mean, I, it sounds weird, but I loved the intensity. I loved kind of the late nights of the teamwork. I liked, I liked that you didn't have to talk about your personal problems because you were too busy working. I, I liked that the cafeteria was open 24 hours a day. I loved the whole environment. So I thought that's what I wanted to do. And I was planning on doing it until 9-11. But then I went to Greenberg and became a litigator. So, so yeah. And, and I think so many people, yeah, I mean, we could talk a lot about big law, in-house, sort of all that sort of stuff. But so, okay. So, you, you I mean, Greenberg's a huge firm too. Very well-respected. Yeah. And 
But it's a different practice, I think, being in Phoenix than it is being in on Wall Street or any sort of Chicago, San Francisco, some of those. But but you do get a lot of experience here. Why? So you choose Greenberg, but why litigation versus corporate? Any any sort of reasons for choosing that? Yeah, I was desperate and I got the job and that was the position open. <laughs> and I mean, I'm a team player, so I'm like, all right, I'm I'm here for it. And I'd done some litigation paralegal work and summer at clerk work that's bad and so I wasn't foreign to it I also I'm very comfortable with taking adverse positions I'm very comfortable with disagreements and and being an advocate for a client um so it, it truthfully it's a much better fit for me than transactional I think I landed right where I was supposed to be oh that's interesting I mean that's good I I felt the same way about corporate it was kind of the same thing. I think it kind of suited my personality well and then and then gave me what I felt was like a good sort of path into an in-house career. And so from that perspective, then, I mean, you were there for quite a while at Greenberg. You developed the practice. I think it get the longer you're in big law and the longer you're in that private practice mode, the harder it is to make that jump in-house. But what was sort of the impetus for that transition then from Greenberg to U-Haul? I've always been a big proponent of, um, like taking opportunities where you see them. And now I probably would have stayed at Greenberg forever. I loved it. I, if there was a Greenberg chart uniform, I would be wearing it. Like I just, I loved my job. I loved my people there. It's a great firm, but the relationship partner for U-Haul, who is a, was, he's now retired, but was at Brian Cave. I knew him and he knew I worked in class action and the position at U-Haul that was open was a class action position, which is pretty rare. Most companies, at least in Phoenix, there's not a lot of public companies at the time. This was 2011 that had bigger legal departments and that had that much class action work at the time. So I was like, I'll just interview, see if I like it. I met with our mutual friend, Dan Simel at the Wild Tiger. He sat me down and kind of told me the culture of U-Haul legal department or U-Haul in general. And at the time, it was fierce <laughs> and um, not for the weak of heart or the thin-skinned. And he's like, my wife couldn't do it. But you, I see, I think you can. <laughs> so I don't know if that was a compliment, but I, I continued with the interview process. And I'm thankful I did. Yeah. Yeah. And Dan is a, a dear friend of both of ours. And so and then shortly thereafter, I stole Dan from U-Haul. So he convinced <laughs> you to come over there. Hit for him. So. Well, he's a sports nut and yeah. we loved being involved in college athletics over there. And I think it worked out well for everybody. So then before I leave Greenberg, any interesting stories you want to share? Any interesting class actions that you got to work on there that you, you want to call out? Well, I mostly worked with the Atlanta team. So I spent a lot of time in Atlanta and they did medical device work, pharmaceutical work. And so I worked with some of the best attorneys in that arena in the country. And I learned so much. I still to this day have contacts that I met there. I, as far as the Phoenix office, I mean, some of my best girlfriends are from are from Greenberg. We still, like tonight, I'm going to see Stevie Nicks with one of them who's in-house. A lot, almost all of them have since left Greenberg and either gone in-house or other firms or done something different. So so it's a tight alumni network that's pretty amazing. 
yeah, no, it's a great firm. And I have a lot of friends there as well that are great attorneys. And at this point in my career, I think I've worked with almost every law firm. And, and so, yeah, so they, and they, they, but they're, they're fantastic. I point out too, Stevie Nicks is also a Phoenix. I know. (laughs) So that'll be a fun show. Okay. So moving to U-Haul then you start there and then, so what was that like? What was the transition? Is it sort of a little bit of a culture shock going from being private practice to being in-house? And and what did you think of that switch? Was that sort of immediately like, yeah, this is the right thing that I should be doing? Or was that sort of a, 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 a tough transition? Well, it's the total opposite. I was like, what that? I forgot to ask if I can curse. What, what did I just do? Okay. So U-Haul is a blue collar company through and through. We have one parking garage here for, I forget how many employees we have, let's say 1,200. Every, it doesn't matter if you're the top lawyer the, or the person who cleans the restrooms, it's equal parking spots. So, so I had to park like almost a quarter of a mile away <laughs> to my office every day, like pop, 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 and heal. And then, and, and it, the culture here is also, it, it's calmed down a little bit, but at the time was very loud and lots of yelling, like, I came from this white shoe law firm that everyone was like, ooh, can you please cl- close the door while I tell you some bad news there? It's like screaming in the middle of the hallway, lots of F-bombs. I mean, a year into it at U-Haul, my husband's like, Christine, your language has changed exponentially. Okay, so how that's kind of changed is I also, through all that, became much more of a direct speaker I did, my my skin did get thicker. I can carry very difficult messages in a very upfront way to kind of rip off that band-aid. I love the fact that there aren't closed-door conversations. I mean, of course, there's some private attorney-client privilege conversation, but... But you know exactly, there's, you know, there's no annual review. There's a minute by minute review. You know exactly where you stand, but with anyone and everyone, I can articulate where I stand with anyone on my team. And it's, it's refreshing to say the least. Yeah. I think I sort of had that same experience, the transition from big law where, you know, Snell and Wilmer, I mean, we, before I left, I think it's changed since, but you know, we had a, you had to wear a suit and tie every day. I mean, you had to dress professionally. And then you've got sort of that big, big law, white shoe type. It, there's a, it's, it is more polite. It's more cultured. It's more, and I think too, when you're a younger associate, you're, you were there longer than I was. I was only there for five years, but you know, you're kind of shielded, I think a little bit from some of that um, stuff. And then you go in house and it's, the speed and at, at which things move and the conversations are more direct and it's more, you're just driving, driving, driving. And so I, I, I really like that atmosphere. I like driving in sort of a high paced environment where people are not wasting your time and you're really getting to the heart of the matter quickly. And so for me, it was a good transition. And I think I also developed and grew as an attorney being in that environment. Sounds like kind of the same way that, that you did as well. Well, yeah, as, and like with in-house, the lawyer, the legal team is not there to say, no, we're not there to stop any business directive. We're, we're really there to kind of advise us to the risks. And U-Haul tends to absorb risk very easily. And 
And, and so that's another thing I've learned. Like from at Greenberg, I was like telling the client, oh my gosh, you've got to put this in a memo. Don't write this in a memo. Don't make this decision, that decision. But here I'm like, okay, we're going to make all the decisions in a way that we're not doing anything illegal or unethical, but, but we're still moving our business plan forward and we'll deal with any blowback as it comes. Yeah, and I think the, those are the best attorneys where they can identify risk, sort of scope it for you, but understand that business is inherently risky. Mm-hmm. You know, every day you walk outside the door, you're taking some sort of risk. And so you can't eliminate it, you, you know, and, and lawyers can't be the department of no. You have to be you have to be able to, way of, to find a way to facilitate transactions. And I think when you're in-house, you sort of see how the sausage is made and you see those decisions coming to life in real time versus an email from outside counsel or from your client saying, this is what we're considering doing. And then you're, like you say, you're researching and writing a memo. And so it's just a different way of practicing. And I think that you do gain an appreciation for just how business works and how these decisions come to life because you see it happen real time. And you know that it's not going to be accepted. You know, the, the other big theme is, right, you, the lawyer's not the star of the show. The business people are the ones that are running this thing and creating a business that allows us all to get paid. And I think you get a greater appreciation for how that works. Yeah. Uh, That that was a huge difference also with being outside as you, you are the moneymaker. You're the whole reason the firm gets to have the nice Christmas parties and all the nice office space is because you're out there making money for the firm. And then in house, you're just spending their money, their hard earned money, and you get reminded of it all the time. And probably why we don't get parking spaces, but, but so you have to really make yourself an asset rather than just someone who's spending their money. Yeah. And I think on those sort of general themes, that's, I think that's an important thing to learn too is how do you become an asset to the organization and not just be considered the lawyer, a necessary evil and expense to me, anticipating issues, being quick with your answers, not getting in the way, not saying no, really trying to sort of be a facilitator versus an inhibitor to progress in the company. So I've seen people get weeded out quickly who are just overlawyer. Yeah, they're overlawyer. People weed themselves out if they can't handle it because no one wants to go to work unhappy or in an environment that's too stressful or whatever it is. So I find and during the interview process, people ask me, like, what makes a successful U-Haul attorney? And it is someone who can kind of get on board with some risky decisions. We have 800 lawsuits at any given time, and that's a lot to manage. And it's the nature of our business. That's just Again, we give trucks, trailers to people to drive across the country and they get tired or mispack their stuff or whatever it is that happens. And, or just there's car accidents out there and our trucks get tangled up in it. So the person, the attorney who is not successful here is one kind of works in an island or, and two can't kind of deal with that direct communication and moving the situation forward. Yeah. No, I, that makes so much sense. And on that topic then, so how do you give us a little bit of a, a, a window into how you're organized and how you, you sort of structured your department and, and how you work on these different things? I mean, you're a publicly traded company. You've got all this litigation like that you talked about. You got real estate matters. So how do you, how have you organized yourself to sort of tackle all of this? So it used to be pretty flat. Our company in general is pretty flat. I think there's five positions between the CEO and 
the lowest level employee. So it's a flat organization by design. And our legal department used to be just all the attorneys would report to the general counsel. Hmm. In the past two years, it's changed a little bit. I think knowing there was going to be a transition with my predecessor leaving and needing kind of a, a little bit of one level in between. So now we have what we call directors and directors have attorneys under them. So we have 20 lawyers total and three directors and then different groups, kind of like a, a lot, a mini law firm. Our, our biggest group would be the products attorneys who deal with the tra- trailer slip and fall litigation. And then we have two real estate attorneys, one litigation, one transactional. We have a tax lawyer, a privacy lawyer, a IP. We have tons of IP. We have one lawyer who does that. We have secu- securities and corporate governance, two employment lawyers, and a con- two contract lawyers. Yeah. So, the, okay. So that, that's a lot. Yeah. That's a lot. <laughs> and so, and then, and then if your experience is anything like mine, I, I mean, those people are sort of grinding and doing all kinds of stuff all day long. Everything are, where do you spend your time? And in my experience, it's trying to keep up with the CEO and it's, and it's literally a different project. Not, not only by the day, but by the hour. Uh, I don't know. He likes to meet with me about everybody else's work. (laughs) So I have to balance it between knowing enough without getting too into the weeds, especially litigation, obviously. I, that's my background. I can't help but kind of try on the, especially the bigger cases. I just love to get into the weeds. So I have to try. I'm still new at this. So I'm trying to back away from that, but still know enough and be enough involved that when our CEO asks me for information on anything, I am able to answer him or bring with me the attorney who can answer. Yeah, I think that that was that was hard for me was sort of, you know, and I think you're directing traffic a lot, but you do need to be familiar enough with those issues that when they come up, you can speak intelligently, you know, on the spot. So especially I mean, you're dealing with 800 lawsuits. I mean, you can't you can't memorize every single piece of litigation that's coming in, and I'm sure it's happening on a daily basis. And so and then you have surprises that come up and you get called in. And so I guess. From you started as the director of litigation, you were managing that piece of it, moving to the general counsel seat. Now, is that something? I mean, how are you doing? How are you doing with that transition? Is it something that you're enjoying taking on responsibility for some of these other things, or or yeah. how, how are you um, feeling about it? I mean, overwhelmed to some extent, but honestly, I got the job a week before my predecessor left, so I didn't have a lot of oh, let me figure out the corporate governance side of things or the securities, like, mm. holy shit, when do we have to disclose? Like, literally, we had to disclose that I was taking over. And I'm like, oh, my God, I didn't even know that. And so, so yeah, there's been a lot of stressful moments. But, I mean, I just got to do the best I can. My team is awesome. Like, uh, like I can't even say this enough. So awesome. We have, we do not have a weak link. The staff is awesome. The paralegals. So I do have tons of help. I read all the time. I read the Wall Street Journal all the time. I read Bloomberg. I mean, I'm constantly reading and absorbing 
And I just, I love meeting with our team. So we have meetings and I just can only do so much. As I tell my CEO almost once a week, like I can't be everything to everyone and I can't know everything about everything. So he gets yeah. it. He, we use lots of humor to kind of bridge the gap, but, but yeah, it's, it's a lot. Yeah. And I think that's the way you're tackling it. You just can't be, you know, you know, you kind of jack of all trades, master of none. You, you got to stay in touch with the business. You got to stay in touch with the, the matters that are critical to the business. And you got to be, to me, it was really helpful to have a really good team that you trusted. I, I tended to give people a lot of autonomy and a lot of responsibility. And I was more or less, you come to me if you need help, but I'm not going to look over your shoulder with everything you're doing because I'm getting called in a million different, different directions. And I think the, the, the personality trait that I think you have that, you're a problem solver and you're very practical and you can relate to people. And so I think in so many ways, when you become a general counsel and you're responsible for so much, it's less about your substantive expertise and on these matters and more about being a good teammate and a good leader. And so I know you have that in spades. And so I think that's what makes you really effective in this role because you can lead people when to jump in and you're staying on top of things. And I just like that transition, I think, to taking that seat and being responsible for everything. It can be difficult for some who really just want to be in the weeds and they view themselves as a substantive expert. But I think for you, it's like a, a natural tra transition into the into this role. And I have another friend of mine, too. So that was one of my questions is like, what do you think like sets GCs up for the best success? Is it what kind of background do you have? Is it, is, you have a litigation background. I had a corporate background. Is it sort of substantive expertise in whatever your company is doing? Like what, what are your thoughts in terms of what is the best background to make a great GC? I think it depends on the company. I think like for a GCU, like your background was perfect. I mean, you guys were acquiring and real estate transactions and M&A stuff and U-Haul is not buying a bunch of companies and we're, our corporate governance is pretty straightforward. I mean, we have a ton of, we have a ton of companies, but they're all U-Haul. We're not like out there looking, but, but I think for me and for U-Haul, having a litigation background and my predecessor had the same thing. He was like also a trial attorney. So I think that was perfect or is perfect for U-Haul. I, I definitely don't think having a litigation background is perfect for many public companies. I, and I am weak on the transactional side of things. And I rely heavily on our SEC lawyer. And I, that's what I focus my reading my own education on is all the transactional, the IP, the, those issues, especially with all the ESG stuff coming out. I mean, so that's where I'm focused myself on. But, but I think for you all, my background is ideal. Yeah, I mean, it fits because, I mean, like you say, if you're dealing with 800 cases a year, a big chunk of what you're working on is is that litigation focused. But, you know, like I say, $11 billion market cap, publicly traded New York Stock Exchange, corporate governance, ESG. I mean, it goes on and on down the list. And that's why I, I guess everybody, I would consider myself weak on the litigation side of it. You know, I've become better over it as being a GC the last 20 years. But, you know, I had to pick that stuff up when I first started. I had, you know, a really deep sort of understanding of corporate governance, transactional work, and I had like no experience in litigation. But that's why I think like the personality to me is so much more important for that kind of a role 
than necessarily your substantive expertise because there's no way that anybody comes into the role right. of general counsel being an expert at everything. It's just right. not possible. And then, and that's also too, and and so another question for you, so a little bit in terms of you've described how you're organized internally, but just as equally important is managing your outside counsel. And so what are your thoughts in terms of how you manage a network of outside attorneys as well for a big operation like that? Yeah, it's constantly a challenge, but, and what can I say? Um, well, we have a national council practice. So we have our national council team for the product space, which is the majority of our cases. And, and then we have lots of local council. And, but because you all is so do it yourself, like for us internally, we can never go to our man, our client, whoever that is, depending on the value of the case and say, our outside counsel told me that like, we have to say, I think we should do this. I mean, of course, we're getting educated by our outside counsel, but, and they're doing the actual legal work, but we have to know everything. And of course, not on every case, but on the higher dollar cases, which we have a big chunk of. And so we manage the, we're like part of the cases. We're part of the litigation team. Our, there's one in-house assigned to different territories and we're part of the team. We're like the managing partner of the case. We're very involved. Um, and, and we keep on top of our outside counsel. Like I know it can be a struggle and I'm sure there's like bathroom walls with our U Haul legal team names on it. But I think for the most part, outside counsel enjoys working with us because the work's exciting. We're, we're easy to get along with, even though we're very involved. Yeah. And I mean, do you have, you have counsel in all 50 states? I mean, you're okay. offering, like you got Canada, all 50 states, like you're, I mean, is that, how, how do you think about that in terms of, I mean, are you managing, for example, 50 different law firms or do you have oh, like, a handful of law firms? Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, so we have our five national counsel firms that get the higher dollar cases and then but they work with local counsel. So we, every other year, we do one training, more of a legal training, and then one training in Phoenix the next year that's more operations training. And we invite everyone out. We usually do the legal one in like a city in the middle of the country. And, and so we spend a lot of time educating them. And that's also what in-house does, like on our equipment, on our operations, on our policies. And so we invest just tons of time into these people. And when I took over the director of litigation role, maybe it was 2020, 2020, I kind of cleaned house a little bit, which was challenging, but also I wanted people who really cared about you all and that we were a big deal to them and that they would take their own time to really learn about our operations and our equipment and not just mail it in. So I think you have to keep looking for ways. And so I would interview at like NAMWOLF events or DRI diversity events to try to start diversifying our outside counsel too. We don't have like rules about that. I just did my best, but, but yeah, I want people who actually want to do our work. Yeah. And, I, and to me, that was also kind of critically important, kind of getting to the mindset, like also like being an, in, you know, a good GC to me, the mindset of a good outside counsel is somebody that takes the time on their own nickel, not billing you for it to really understand your business. It always resonated so much more with me when someone really understood our culture, understood our business and took an interest in who we were 
and would would sort of try to conform to some extent to the way we operated as a business and understood what was important to us. I mean, at the end of the day, these these lawyers, I mean, obviously they're individuals, right? They're they're not so, you know, if you've got these big brands in all these law firms and and the thing that I would always say is I hire the lawyer, not the firm. Yeah. So I spread it. Yeah. Is that kind of how you look at the... the Yeah. And like, I just got a note from one of our national council firms up in Alabama, and they asked if they could rent like three, four pieces of our equipment. And they do this once a year for all their newer associates who are going to be on the U-Haul team. And they go out to one of the partners. They call it a farm. I just call it a big house in the country, but farm and, and like ride around and, and unhook trailers and everyone gets in a truck and, um, you know, because you can't defend a product without really knowing how it operates and how and how to hook it up and what goes wrong if you hook it up wrong. And so that kind of thing. I'm like, hell yeah, take our equipment. So that just always impresses me. And a lot of our good partners really do go that extra mile. And that's why they're good partners. Yeah, I always find that as well. The people at Grand Canyon, it would be, we would have attorneys that would come to the games. They come to the mm-hmm. basketball game. They, they come to the, they bring their family to a theater performance or something. They just showed that they cared about us. And I think when they do that and they care about the organization, they, they, that you see much better results. Yeah. I totally want 100% agree. Yeah. I think, and, and I think it's the same. I think that same approach within, if, if you're just, even if you're in-house, if you're taking it as a job and you don't care about the the company, you're just getting a paycheck. I don't think you give your best performance in those situations. You got to treat it like it's your money. You got to treat it like it's your case. Try to put yourself in, in someone okay. else's shoes. And I always think that that leads to the best results. But I am surprised sometimes that that you don't get that same level of commitment. from yeah. It always surprises me, like especially for these one-off deals like real estate or employment where we don't have just a collection of attorneys. I just have to go like Google attorneys or ask my friends for recommendations. But when you call someone, you're like, hey, I have a new case or a new matter. And they literally don't call you back. I'm like, a great. When I was outside, I would like claw out of a meeting to call someone back. And it just blows my mind. So clients yeah, I, really mean something. It, it absolutely does. And, and it, that would always be fascinating to me too. Sometimes I'd sit there and scratch my head and say, who is the client here? what what are we doing like there's so yeah and i don't i don't like but i know that there's some attorneys i think probably have enough on their plate and they're just like hey it's one of my one of my favorite attorneys that i worked with at grand canyon he was with a small firm but he's kind of specialized in higher ed and stuff but i i called him because he had gotten a really good result on another matter and but he was very frank with me, very to the point. And he said, you can work with me or you can not. He's like, I got, I, and it was kind of, I, he was just genuine right from the very beginning. Yeah. And then now, like he, I mean, he takes, he, he, you would, you would have, you would think that he founded Grand Canyon University, the way that he takes it so personally. And I love that. And, and it also sh- makes me look better too when I'm, when I'm putting somebody, when we're having those discussions with the CEO or with the board and you need to bring an outside counsel for whatever reason, like you want that passion, I think, to yeah. sort of show it's a good reflection on you that you're choosing people that care and don't seem indifferent. 
But yeah, no, I appreciate that. And so I'm going to go back to sort of in-house attorneys. What when you're looking at in-house attorneys and you're looking to my guess is you're sort of hiring all the time. You're sort of you're working a big department like this. You're constantly sort of trying to navigate your organization and stuff. What are you typically looking for from your in-house team? Well, I mean, at the moment we're at max capacity, which hasn't been the case in like five years, but for the moment. But what I look for, and I guess so you're it's because right. you're there. You're... I don't know. I'm constantly looking, I feel like. But it needs to be some, like we've talked about, someone who can understand U-Haul and our philosophies, whether it's employment, whether it's our products work or IP, whatever it is. And like for real estate, for example, like we do not sell our real estate. We don't sell unless it's like such a big number that would have to go to the board. But, and like that property at 40th and Camelback, of course, every restaurant in Arizona wants to put a restaurant in there, but no, we're not selling it. So understanding those philosophies or how we, in some accident cases, like if our employees really didn't do anything, it's still a sad situation that someone got hurt, but we, our processes were right. Our employees did all the right thing. Sometimes you just have to defend the employees and like take it to trial. And, 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 and sometimes that's uncomfortable for some litigators. So, and, and, and you need to be able to work in a team environment, even if it's the employment team where there's two lawyers, like you have to be able to work with all of us. So, and we don't pay what, large Greenberg charts pay. <laughs> we just don't. And you don't get a bargaining spot. So, so I mean, all that stuff combined, you really have to find the right person. And I always think of it as a two-way interview. You got to like us. You have to like me. You have to like whoever you're reporting to and our environment. And we're be- I'm very transparent about all three investments. Yeah. And I think that's important to be on the front end to be upfront about what it is you're getting into so you don't have that churn and you don't have that turnover. But I think enjoying the people you work with, enjoying the company you work for, the great thing about being in-house is it's really a truly like a team environment. I think if you find the right fit, you're part of a team, it's less of an individual game. I find where you're working in a law firm and you might be your partner next door is your partner, but at the same time, you're competing for that big client. And so you can be somewhat of an, an individual sport and I think one of the great things, in addition to not having to bill your hours, is also that you get to be part of a team. And if we win, as we can collectively win as a team, all of us together. And being a guy that grew up playing team sports, I just appreciate that when you're in-house. And I think when you're interviewing people, trying to sort of figure that out, is that sort of their, what are they motivated by? What what I think that stuff's all important. So it sounds like, yeah. I agree. We celebrate. I mean, we barely ever win. I'll say that. <laughs> barely ever win. But we do have wins and they come in different ways. But we certainly celebrate those. We make fun of everyone and everything, mostly ourselves. But we do all have a good sense of humor because we deal with a lot of horrible situations. And and we yeah. have to be able to keep our stress management to somewhat of a normal level. That's another, it's a great point because I think that's so incredibly important. And I would always tell my teams that too. It's like, we're usually dealing with people in their worst moment. Okay. You know, if everything's going great, they're not calling us. We're, we're there in their time of need. And the other thing I always try to express to people is be, be compassionate and be empathetic. Um, I want to be the department that people feels comfortable coming to and telling them, 
I, I want people to tell me I screwed up. Mm-hmm. I don't want to be the department of like casting blame and casting aspersions because right, right. then you're not going to catch that's kind of back to that comment from the Ford attorney. It's like, then you're, people are afraid to come to you. And then as those problems sort of continue to, to fester, they just magnify and bigger and bigger. And so I think it's a unique skill set to be someone in the legal department and people may be nervous coming to you, but at the same time, you want to be the, the kind of person that people feel comfortable opening up to, and you're going to be there to help them through this. And we're going to solve this problem and we're going to move on yeah. to the more important things. And having a sense of humor and, and being able to sort of make fun of yourself, I think is a big part of that. I think it's a huge, I think it's an underappreciated personality trait for people and that kind of do the kind of work that we do. Yeah, I could not agree more. So, okay. So if I'm there and I'm interested in U-Haul, tell me what's the best thing about working at U-Haul. I mean, do you get like free trucks and stuff like that? Like, No, you- no, you bet. You used to not even be able to get the water from the water jug free. Like you all chipped in like five bucks a month. But but what you do get, <laughs> and now you get, and now we have this beautiful gym. Like it has a golf simulator. It has free yoga, free spin class all the gym yeah. equipment. And really, we encourage people to use it. It's not like, here's the gym, but check out when you can use it, a free doctor and dentist. And I mean, they really want you never to leave once you get here, which works because you park so far away. So anyway, and, and, and for the legal department, we're very careful who we hire for staff too. And I'm a huge proponent, like the holiday month of December, once a week, we're doing something fun, like front, like a half hour, nothing crazy. But the staff makes our department feel so homey and all of the assistants are like, not only do our assistant work, but help us like with kids and everyone can bring their kids if want the kids day off. We all know each other's families. We, we don't spend a lot of time with each other outside of work, but I want people to know each other well at work. So it's a, I want people to enjoy coming to work and whatever that takes in a small way. And it, and a lot of it is, is non-lawyer driven, but I think it helps the lawyers be more loyal to working. Yeah, I think that's fantastic. And I, I couldn't agree with you more. I think you end up, you realize you spend a lot more time like waking hours together with mm-hmm. each other in that environment. And you really do become you know, sort of a family, you're spending all that time together. And especially when you're working on really stressful, big picture things, like I said, when you're dealing with problems and trying to solve them constantly, creating that environment that's, that's welcoming where people want to be there, I think is really important. So, okay, we're coming up on time. I want to ask you sort of here, the, the last sort of category I want to cover with you is any sort of advice. I think there's a lot of, you know, there's not a lot of public company GC jobs in the country, let alone in Phoenix, you have one of those seats. What's your advice for for young attorneys or students interested in law, people that that really aspire to to be in your seat someday? What what kind of advice do you have for them? I what I I mentor a lot of law school students and I always say the same thing. Like you you want to have to get good grade good grade. It doesn't mean everything. I was a pretty average student, but but you also have to, and I still do that even now, like I, I target one thing a week, even if it's something like this or something fun where I'm meeting people out in the business community from law school on. Like you need to start and it's very, it's easy for me now, but it was 
very difficult as like a first year lawyer. You get nervous. You want to play the part, if you, especially if you're an introvert. You have to put yourself out there, but and take every opportunity. Like I never thought I would leave Greenberg, never in a million years. Then I'm glad I did, but I'm glad I was there. I, but I did it because I kept meeting and networking, and and when I got here and realized that there was maybe a chance to be general counsel, I it was a five year plan, but it didn't happen. I didn't get lucky. Like it was a five year plan. I had many drafts of my plan and I continued to revise them and I continued to like execute it. Like it just didn't happen. So I knew what I wanted and I worked together. Yeah. And I think you can, it's really hard to connect the dots perfectly and say, okay, well, if I do this and then I do this and then I do this, I'll end up here. I think you can sort of chart a path in a certain direction, but you, you can never know what those opportunities are going to be. I think the best thing is exactly what you said. I think it's networking. I think it's getting out of your comfort zone. It's meeting people and being involved in the community and doing those types of things. I think that, I think every job I've had, I've had a relationship with the people before I got the job, either directly with them or from um, somebody that introduced me to them. And I'm not naturally sort of an outgoing person either. I guess I don't, my wife might disagree with that, but it's, I think it's a skill that you develop and I think it's important to flex that muscle as you're, as a, you're a young attorney and you're starting out in your career is not to think that like, you know, especially in today's day and age where people rarely stay at the same company their entire career, force yourself to get out, force yourself to meet new people, force yourself to sort of be in uncomfortable positions and then see where that leads. Because I think you just never know what opportunities are out there unless you put yourself in that position to, to do it. So I think yeah, that's, totally agree. I think that's fantastic advice. So, all right, well, uh, I'll, I'll let you off the hook here. You can, you've. Well, thank you so much. Far, for but, having uh, me. No, I really appreciate it. Thank you for, for really joining us here today. You have been very successful and I cannot tell you how, how exciting that is for all of us to see you such a great person have such an important position. And so thank you for joining us and sharing your story for us uh, a little bit today. So thanks, everybody. Please yeah. don't forget to subscribe to the Attorney Lounge podcast. You can see it on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. I want to thank Array for sponsoring this and making us possible. And uh, please tune again in again for future episodes. Christine, again, thank you very much. Thanks, Neil.